0: You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at HelpForHD.org. To watch us in person, find Help For HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help For HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2,
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we have Dr. Hugh Rickards again on with us. Um, If you remember, he came on to talk with us about the heated task force with EHDN, Um, and during that show, he actually mentioned something um, that really caught my attention and I really wanted to talk about, and that's diagnosing HD. And... um, you know, changing the criteria and what that means for people. So um, we are going to be talking about that today. Thank you so much for coming on again and, and talking with me.
2: It's a massive pleasure, Lawrence. Can you hear okay? I can. Good, good.
1: So yeah. let's start with um, – what you, like what you were talking about in the other show and in, in the criteria of diagnosing HD, and we've actually had a very lengthy discussion about this already, um, uh-huh. <laughs> about uh-huh. diagnosing HD and, and um, how we change that and if it's beneficial. Um, so let's start. I, I'd like to know okay. your thoughts on it.
2: Okay. Well, I guess, yeah, diagnosis is a funny thing. We used to think diagnosis was like a switch, like you didn't have HD, then one day the switch switched and you did have it. Um, and that's really not how it is, I don't think. Because HD is something probably that, it, well, it's true, it's, it's in your genes, so you're born with it, if you like, and um, it's, it, your body's making the HD protein from conception, but it's not a very toxic protein. So it takes a really long time to do anything bad, so many people could live with that in their systems for a really long time um, and be okay or be, have some problems but not massive problems. And we've always said to people, you know, you've only got HD when, you know, a clever doctor who, who, with his eyes and ears and hands uh, can check you up and say, oh, that means it's started. And I, don't, I think that idea is the thing that's probably changing. Um, that it's not a thing that you wake up one day and it starts Um, there's all sorts of reasons why that evolves to be like that Um, but I guess now especially as we're heading towards an era where we might be able to modify the disease, we're trying to look at other ways of saying when's the process started rather than when could I see something in the process with my hands or my arms There's there's a funny thing that Somebody says the preclinical people, the people who don't deal with patients, they laugh at the clinic. clinicians, like as they say, diagnosing Huntington's disease with using chorea and dystonia, that's a journey movements. It's a bit like diagnosing diabetes when you've had your first amputation. It's like way into the process. And actually with disease modifying therapy, we really aim to get to things much, much earlier than that. And I think that's, that will be the future for HD. So that's caused us to think about what it means to have HD but then the other thing is that diagnosis has political and social and medical functions it's not just a scientific thing because you know yourself and it depends which country you come from That when somebody says you have HD then it can open a bunch of doors for you might shut some doors too but it can also open doors in terms of it might give you access to health insurance or access to clinics without having to pay loads and loads of money uh, it might give you um, access to extra adaptation or provision at work and workplace, and it might give you access to, uh, you know, experts who can really help you. But that's the irony, I suppose.
1: Right. And and that's something we had discussed, you know, it, it opens a lot of doors, you're right. Um, I think that the the pros of it probably outweigh the cons but again in this community we have you mentioned it it's like a switch right and we tend to sit there and think okay if we do anything oh is this Huntington's and that means today that I've developed Huntington's you know and, and we get in that mindset and there's that fear in the community of when they say I'm diagnosed is it the end you know like oh people are just gonna write me off and why do you think that is do you do you have a thought on on why we we think that way
2: I suppose it's partly because a diagnosis gets made at such a, a sort of relatively late point during the whole process. Um, that's the first thing. And also I think within HD families, everybody's got a story of somebody who when they were ill with HD, they sort of were in some way excluded, I don't know, in a nursing home or in a hospital or something So a lot of families have a history about an older older relative who's somehow removed from family. And I think that creates a sort of stigma. It's like, when it started, then that's going to happen to you. So I guess then doctors got involved in that a little bit because they said, we didn't want to tell people it would start because that would put them in that negative mindset. So we're going to delay it and delay it, delay telling them despite what the, the biology tells us. For as long as possible, because they would feel that it might lead them to feel negative. But you could flip that on its head and say, well, why not talk to people really early about that? And then you've got a relatively more positive story to tell at an early stage, and a load of things you can do, such as really, you know, looking after yourself and making plans, and you know, also which a lot of people do, making reproductive choices, also making uh, adjustments in the workplace. Well,
1: and, and
2: the other. It, oh, sorry.
1: No, what were you going to say?
2: Um, the other thing I think is really important is what I call non-specific symptoms. So there's a lot of things that might happen to you that you might wonder. I wonder if this is HD or not. I you mean, know, classic thing, you know, you're clumsy and you drop something or you knock an object off the table or something, which, of course, we all do all the time. Um, and you oh, go. I wonder if that was Huntington's or something else. And I guess it, it might be a bit of Huntington's or it might be a bunch of other things and it might just be an accident which happens. But actually, sometimes you need to talk to somebody who understands Huntington's to help you have some clarity on that. So I had a guy in clinic the other day. He said he was getting repetitive thoughts about walking in his head all the time. I mean, he hadn't had them before. And he wondered if it was to do with this Huntington's disease. And he hadn't got many obvious signs apart from that. Um, And I guess we had a conversation about that. Well, maybe there's a bit of it that might be to do with that and a bit that isn't. But in order to get access to an expert luckily in the uk we have the wonderful national health service so you've got access to um, an expert like me without having to pay loads of money but in the states probably you'd have to have a diagnosis of hd in order to get that access to that sort of information and that sort of expertise unless you happen to be very rich which most people aren't and so like they have you have a way you know, have to get a diagnosis of hd to get the help about non-specific things that may or may not be HD. So it's sort of catch 22 a little bit, that situation. But I would say let's bring the diagnostic threshold right down so everybody can get access to help and then have a slightly more positive mindset about what having a diagnosis means.
1: Well, and I think that's key right there is having a more positive mindset. Because I think, you know, we tend to, in the community, you know, when we get the diagnosis, it's automatically, okay, well, we're dying from HD. But why can't it be, you know, why can't it be like MS? We're living with it, you know, but people with MS live for years and years and and they have access to their specialists. And and we don't look at that as they're dying from it. You know, they still have normal lives. They have, you know, so it's, to me, I and we talked about this before and that I think it's just changing the mindset of the HD community of we're not, we don't have to be dying from this, we can be living with it. And that may mean earlier diagnosis to get more care access to take care of the things that we need to take care of early on. Then.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in favor about that. I guess what people have sometimes said as a disadvantage, as you say, is people might think, well, as soon as I get the diagnosis, that means I have to be ill and that's it. It's the end of the whole story. and that it's all over somehow. And maybe in some of that, like, well, somebody's going to put me somewhere else or something. That's the sort of... Yeah, I think we have to move away from that because many, many diseases have taken this path. Another good example is HIV. You know, lots of people can be HIV and um, living with HIV. And now, thanks to their disease modification, which we'd love to have the same amount of disease modification for us, thanks to that, you know, people always talk about You know, living with HIV and being HIV positive, and getting access to medical care, without necessarily being very, very poorly. And some things might happen to someone like with HIV, like I don't know, getting a chest infection or a foot infection or something, which may or may not do be to do with HIV. But you wouldn't say they wouldn't be able to see HIV. In fact, it'd be really important that they did. I sort of have a I, I have a very specific view about this, which I understand is a bit left field. I think as soon as you know that you carry the HD Gene, I would say you're H D positive and that you're living positively with H D and lots of things will happen to you along the path, you know, some of which will be more or less specific to what's going on with H D and some of which might be to do with other things. But I think you you should be entitled to some sort of care and support from the moment that you find out your gene status
1: and i and i tend to agree with that um even though it still scares me to have the diagnosis i think that's a part of it you know we stand behind this fear of of having a diagnosis but at the same time i i understand having that for the purpose of care and also after our last talk and and talking about things just thinking about um, you know how we were talking about how everything kind of plays in together, right? If you've got depression, that doesn't mean it's just from Huntington's. It could be, but it could also be from hypothyroidism. It could be from something else. And
2: But you need an expert to work that stuff out. Right. So can I talk about experiment with you then? Sure. Lauren? If I said just that if you were in a situation whereby when you took a test and somebody said you have the HD gene, that was the only diagnostic thing that you ever had to do. So in other words, they said at that point, you have, you know, you're HD positive. Let's say they called it that. And that counted as a diagnosis for healthcare and work and everything. And then there wasn't another point after that. There were just a bunch of things that happened. There wasn't another moment where something happened. So you didn't ever have to go through that second moment where somebody said, oh, it started now. How would that feel if that was the situation for you? So you had the single moment, which was a bit harder at early doors, and they just said, okay, you're HD positive, you have the gene. That was the only moment that you had. Rather than what we call it, two moments now, where you've got the moment you say so you've got the gene, mm-hmm. and then the next second moment, where they say, oh, start it started now.
1: Um, that's a really good question. So, it may... <laughs> I think it's hard because for those those of us who have tested young right like that's a really scary thing to test in your 20s and you think oh my gosh but again it's changing that mindset and I think that had I treated it if I tested positive and they treated it just like I was going to a doctor for you know for Hashimoto's thyroiditis or um, or something like that you know where I'm having regular visits things are going on where. Just checking to you know checking in to see and seeing how everything works together and we're constantly you know that preventive care or that proactive care. Um, I don't think it would scare me as much as as getting the di- uh, getting the positive result and then being told at some point that I'm I have a diagnosis, but I've known this whole time that I've had changes and I haven't been able to see anybody. You know, so it's it's hard because I. I have that fear of the diagnosis but at the same time it makes sense to do it earlier to get what you need to get that proactive care and to be proactive
2: and I think and I suppose what you do in that case is that you avoid the second switch altogether it's because there isn't a magic moment the science doesn't support there being a magic moment it just doesn't make it sort of existed because we sort of wanted it to be true one way or another both patients and doctors um, but the science that's come out maybe in the last 10 years is that that is just not a biological reality. And so I, I mean, think that's
1: a huge part theory. too, is just realizing, and this was what really changed things for me is having this discussion about it's not a switch, right? So I have to change my mindset and not think, okay, this is a switch. I was a caregiver. I know that, right. But for some reason in my yeah, head, of course you do. <laughs> but for some reason in my head, it's, it's a switch. And as we were talking about, Ha, you know, it's it's thinking of it as a continuum rather than that switch, and um, yeah. and so don't, that don't really did help.
2: That. Don't be hard on yourself about that, Lauren. But the first the first thing is I think people actually sort of I think wanted that to be the case. I don't know whether they did. But partly, and also doctors have encouraged that sort of thinking for many years. Um, I guess it's just in the face of overwhelming evidence that's sort of changed a bit. Um, but also, I think with the possibility of disease-modifying therapy, that's made having an early diagnosis a bit less scary. I know we've still got a way to go before disease modification, but I think that was one thing that sort of has stifled this debate a little bit. It's sort of made it made us less bold to have the discussion, I think. I think the, the potential for disease-modifying therapy and then all the additional science stuff that we know about what happens in the brain. And I think, you know, the idea of there are brain changes and then there are also brain adaptations. Yes. Yeah. In fact, amazing brain adaptations that we've seen. You know, one bit is struggling to work quite as well. And then another bit comes in and lends a helping hand. You know, you can see that really clearly. And that's huge On
1: to remember. Surveys. Um, but that's, you know, that's a huge thing yeah. to remember is that, that the brain adapts, and especially in the beginning stages, your brain is an amazing thing where it, um, you know, just like with a traumatic brain injury, your brain will rewire itself to help the other areas. And it's the same thing in Huntington's and, you know, in the beginning in stages. stages. So it's, it's not like we can't adapt. I always called it the new normal.
2: The new normal, yes, and I think it's okay to be able, maybe this is a new adaptation as well for us is to be able to go to a clinician and say, look, a few things are happening to me, you know, I don't know whether some of this is, as you say, a thyroid condition or a bit to do with something from Huntington's brain or maybe some depression or maybe I'm overthinking it, you know, these are all normal things that happen to humans, and I think that could all be done within the framework of a diagnosis, maybe it'd be better for communities But then most of the people who look after Huntington's disease, I guess neurology people and people who are trained in the neurological ways, they're probably less interested in that group of people. They were really trained predominantly to look after really, really poorly people, and their main job is to work out what what sort of poorly it is. In other words, if somebody came to you with a load of chorea and dysonia and some other things, then their main training is to work out You know, is this Huntington's or is this something else that looks a bit like Huntington's disease? And they are awesome about. They're not. And the thing in the UK, I don't know about in the US, they're not as well trained or as comfortable with somebody coming and saying, there's something's happened to me. I've got some depression and I'm a bit more irritable, or I'm not sleeping so well, or I've knocked something over, I've fallen over or something. Is this part? Is this maybe to do with Huntington's and have a discussion and do some preventative things? Not particularly in neurological culture to do that so I guess maybe other groups of professionals may have those skills a little bit more
1: well and and that's why I'm a huge proponent of of neuropsychiatry and um, and and getting that baseline and we had talked about that too about Um, getting that baseline of of where you are um, and knowing that you don't have deficits and how emotionally and mentally that helped me um just cope and uh and now i have my baseline and so i know if i go back and i do you know testing again if i have a deficit well you know again we it could be multiple things but it, i would have a better understanding of how bad of a deficit you know and that kind of helps too and
2: also you might you might be able to train your brain a bit I don't think this is another area within research you know ways in which you can You know, your brain naturally does these sorts of workarounds, and there may be ways that we can get train people to use workarounds for their brain. I mean, it might be something very basic like, you know, your level of activity, or it might be specific brain training things. And I I guess that's a bit of a young field in terms of science, but that may be a way forward in the future. Absolutely, preserving the bits of your brain that you need most,
1: which I think is so smart. Um,
2: There might be. I would think it's very likely that there are ways that you can change your environment that will sort of improve your chances. Basically, improve your health of your brain, help you to live positively with HD a bit more.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that we talked about, you asked a really good question um, the last time we talked, and it's it, and you said ultimately it's not. Um, it's not what researchers think, it's not what the clinician, clinicians think, it's basically what the people with Huntington's feel is the right diagnosis and when that is, and we in the community have to um, ask ourselves, what is that, you know, what does that mean yeah.
2: for us? I, that's super important because people are, I think patients haven't, their voice hasn't really been heard in this area. It's like we, we've had a discussion now when you said, of what would diagnosis mean to you at different stages you imagine it's not a switch it's a continuum that means that there is isn't a magic moment where you can draw a line and say this is HD this is not HD so it depends on what purpose you want to draw that line for you might want to draw it for making plans or you might want to draw it to access healthcare or you might want to draw it to um, change your work practices or Things to do with your family. And so you have a stake in where that line gets drawn And at the moment, I don't think that voice is very loud. It's getting a bit louder I think thanks to people like yourself actually so patients can say well if I had an earlier diagnosis This is what it would mean to me. They may say there's some bad things about it, too Mm -hmm. And I I wouldn't like to second-guess what patients generally would think they probably have a range of views I think it's really important for people like you and other organisations to ask the patients. You know, if you had a diagnosis five or ten years earlier, what effect would that have on you? What do you think? How would it be? And they may be. We definitely don't want it, but they may also be. Well, it could really help with this, this, this. And I guess, as well as listening, you'll also be leading the debate a little bit, saying, Well, maybe we should change the way we think a little bit. What do you think? It's listening, but also leading a bit, I guess.
1: And I think that's what I want to challenge the hd community to do is change the mindset a little bit um you know and look at at you know what we've learned in the past 10 years look at what's upcoming with disease modification and and though it may not be right this minute it is a lot closer than than we've ever had and so oh yes so i think that we in the hd community really need to question ourselves and say you know how do we go from this dying from h d to living with h d and and change this mindset and what do we want to get out of having a diagnosis? What would it mean?
2: Yeah, I mean there may be all sorts of things that people might want to get and they may vary from country to country, which makes it a bit more complicated doesn't it It does <laughs> ideally you'd like to have one standard for everybody, but that might not be the might not be possible
1: Well, oh, you start somewhere like, you
2: know, what? You start somewhere <laughs> I think a really good place to start. And this discussion is starting to gain traction. I think more people are talking about it And, um, and if it, and for the patients, you've got to say, well, what difference would it make to me? And also family members as well, I think, who might have a view on it. And I say, well, it would really help for my husband or wife or parent or something to get the, to get the diagnosis a bit earlier that might help us to do things or put things in place or, you know, do preventative things. Absolutely. Get access to things. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you again for coming on and talking Art's with me. Um, I really, really appreciate it.
2: And lovely, yeah, I'm happy to come again.
1: Well, thank you so That's much.
2: some of my favorite things. <laughs> I'm a self-professed HD nerd. That's what I've called myself. HD love nerd.
1: it. I absolutely love it. We're going to end the show here and say goodbye, and thank you guys so much for listening in, um, and Hugh, you take care.
0: Thank you for listening.